So there are bad days, and then there are really bad days, and then there's whatever's going on with Jonah. Most of us, well, all of us, have had bad days. The vast majority of us, if not all of us, have had really, really bad days. But it's a pretty special set of circumstances when you find yourself trying to run away from the presence of God, ending up on a boat caught in the middle of a storm that's about to tear the boat to pieces, having some sailors throw you overboard in the middle of that storm because you asked them to, and then being eaten by a fish and somehow still being alive. When Jonah goes overboard, he's pretty much as good as dead. These are not a, a, a seafaring people. You probably didn't know how to swim very well if you're an ancient Israelite prophet. And so now he's out in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, and these guys throw him overboard, and he's got nowhere to go. There's not another ship coming to pick him up, and he's about to die. And so his day is getting bad, but it kind of looks like it's about to get worse. Because in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We've seen already, as God calls the storm and, and causes the storm to cease, that God has incredible power, incredible sovereignty, incredible control over the natural world. And here, in possibly the strangest part of this book, we see God put that sovereignty into motion again. As Jonah's on the brink of death, as Jonah's about to drown to death all by himself out in the middle of the sea, God calls this great fish that comes and eats Jonah. And now, Jonah has some time to think. Jonah, in fact, has three whole days to think. And I don't know what you do in the belly of a fish for three days, but I imagine there's not a lot going on. And so all he can do is think about his situation and how he got here and what he was supposed to be doing. And there are a lot of things that Jonah could be thinking about. There are a lot of places that his mind could go. There's a lot of feelings and responses that Jonah could have. He could be angry because after all, at the core of this, this is kind of God's fault. If God had never called Jonah to go to Nineveh, if he would have just let him stay at home in Israel where he was comfortable and where he was happy and where everything was going well, then Jonah never would have felt like he needed to run away and then he never would have got on the boat to Tarshish and he never would have been in the storm and none of this could have happened. And so he could be really angry at God. He could be really angry at himself. He could be sad and wallowing in misery. And as we are going to see in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah, Jonah is really good at wallowing in his own misery. And so he could have looked at his circumstances and thought, oh, poor me. How could God let this happen to me? I'm a prophet and God speaks to me. And so I had one bad day. So I decided to take one detour. So I didn't do one thing that God called me to. Is that really such a big deal that all of this would be happening to me now? Why would God want to harm me in this way. But Jonah's response is not either of those things. As Jonah sits in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, the only response that we see in Jonah chapter 2 is that Jonah is thankful. 
that Jonah is thankful for the place that he finds himself in, even though it's one of the most uncomfortable and disturbing situations we could possibly imagine being in, Jonah calls out to God with a psalm of thanksgiving. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2 as Jonah prays to God. And we're going to learn some pretty incredible things, not only about Jonah and his situation, but especially about who God is and what Jonah's situation and his response teaches us about the character and the nature of the God we serve. And so for the next two weeks, and if you write down sermon titles, we're going to be talking about Jonah's prayer, his psalm of thanksgiving from the belly of a fish. A psalm of thanksgiving from the belly of a fish. And this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter, or excuse me, 1 through 7 of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and the weeds wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. And God, as we've already said, we do thank you that you hear us when we pray that you care about the things that are on our heart, that you listen to our, our cries of anger, that you listen to our cries of sorrow, and that you listen to our cries of thanksgiving. And so help us to have the passion for prayer, but also the comfort in our prayer life. To come to you with boldness and with confidence and to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. When you grow up in church, you hear things sometimes and you don't really know where they came from. And things become part of your theology or understanding of God. And sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when that came into being in your life. And there's one of those things in my life that caused me really a a lot of harm in my personal walk with Christ for a long time. And I can't remember if it was a youth pastor that had said this or a Sunday school teacher, but I remember hearing one of of those kind of people say at one point in time that God doesn't hear our prayers when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. And I remember distinctly, especially during times when I would have, have periods of doubt and struggles in my faith, and those come a lot for me that I would be kneeling down trying to pray and feeling like God wasn't hearing my prayer. Because what if there was something in my life that I didn't know about? 
Or what if I had a heart condition? What if something was going on inside that I hadn't really worked out and I hadn't prayed for God to forgive me? Or what if I had done something and I hadn't asked for forgiveness or I hadn't confessed that sin? And then what if God's not listening to my prayers? And if God's not listening, then how can I confess those things and get forgiveness? And it was really messy. And I remember having this distinct feeling that I was praying to a glass ceiling. That I was offering up these prayers, but they just weren't able to make it because of who I was and what I had done. But thankfully, we have the book of Jonah. And there's a lot of stuff in the book of Jonah. There's a lot of warnings for us. And as we continue looking through the book of Jonah, we're going to see those warnings expressed in Jonah's life, kind of a guideline for what not to do about running away from the will of God or hating our enemies or all these things that Jonah does so poorly. The book of Jonah is there to show us this is not who you're supposed to be. There's a lot of conviction in the book of Jonah where sometimes we see the things that Jonah does and we hear the things that Jonah says and it sounds an awful lot like me. And it starts to reveal my weaknesses and my sin and my shortcomings. But there's also a lot of hope in the book of Jonah. There's a lot of encouragement in the book of Jonah. And sometimes it comes in very small and seemingly unimportant places. We've talked about how the struggle of reading the book of Jonah can be the familiarity that we have with it. We, most of us, know how the story goes. If you've been raised in church, around church, around somebody that goes to church, or even sometimes just in the South, you probably have a good understanding of the basics of the story of Jonah, at least the way that it's told in children's storybooks. You've got a guy who runs away from God, there's the ship, and he gets thrown overboard, and the fish eats him and spits him back up. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches, and he's really angry about it. We know the general idea of the story. But because there's some of these fantastic things like the fish, some of the more detailed and intricate parts of the book can be overlooked. And so when you're going through the passage, we've talked about the fish only appears in two verses. It's only mentioned a couple times. But when you read chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's going to catch your attention. That's one of those verses that if you're just reading this for the first time, you might think, what? What's happening here? It jumps off the page. It's almost highlighted because it's such a strange part of the story. And if we're not careful, the strangeness of chapter 1, verse 17 can overshadow the beauty of chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But this is what it says in verse 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah prayed, and God heard him. Now, even without the context of the story, even without knowing anything else about Jonah's life, that statement is miraculous. That Jonah prayed to God and God heard him is an incredible miracle that takes place in this story because we find out not only do we have a God who speaks, because we learn that in Jonah chapter 1, that we have a God who speaks to his people, that even though his word is so powerful that he created the heavens and the earth with it, even though he's so big and so beyond us that it's unfathomable, he still loves us enough and is intimate enough with us that he would speak directly to to his children. And that's amazing. 
But not only does God speak to us, but God listens to us. And it shows us how much God values his people. Because while it's spectacular that God speaks, in a position of power, people in power always speak at people who are under them. But it takes a gracious and kind and benevolent master or authority to listen to his people. And to listen to those that he rules over. And so God is a God who listens to us and cares about what we have to say. And that's beautiful and encouraging and awesome. But if we look at the context of Jonah, it becomes even more miraculous. Because God isn't just listening to a good prophet. God is listening to Jonah. And Jonah is kind of the worst. And there's no reason at all that God should be listening to Jonah because remember how this story goes. God comes to Jonah, who is a prophet. It's Jonah's job to speak whatever God tells him to do. And God comes to Jonah and he says, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach this message for me. And Jonah says, No, thank you. And gets up and runs away. But he doesn't just run away. He's trying to run away from the presence of God. He's abandoning not only his position as a prophet, not only his responsibility as a child of God, but he's trying to abandon who he is as someone who worships God by escaping the presence of God, presumably to run to another God who's not going to make him do the things that his God is making him do. But even forget all that. When Jonah was on the boat and everything was falling apart, The sailors run to Jonah as they're all praying to all their other gods who can't do anything about it. They run to Jonah and they say, listen, try to pray to your God. Maybe it'll work. Maybe if you pray to your God, then he'll calm the storms and and he'll be the one to save us. And Jonah says, nah, I'm good. And so even in the midst of calamity, Jonah won't pray to God. But now, now that Jonah's been thrown overboard and eaten by a fish... Jonah decides it's probably a good time to start praying to God. This is one of those situations where Jonah's got a lot of unconfessed stuff going on. And yet he prays to God and there's no glass ceiling. Even though God shouldn't listen to Jonah, he does. And what he hears from Jonah is something incredible because Jonah offers up this prayer, this psalm of thanksgiving. And what's so amazing about this passage of Scripture is that you could cut Jonah chapter 2 out of the place it is in your Bible, or you could copy and paste it on your phone, and you could drop it right in the middle of the book of Psalms, and it would fit right in. Because it's the same structure, it's the same style of all the other Thanksgiving Psalms that we have in the book of Psalms. And just like all of the Psalms, Jonah's prayer here is artistic and it's beautiful. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Psalms, they wouldn't use rhyme like we do, but they would use repetition to help show the depth of what's going on. And so you see that in this passage as Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. He's saying the same thing, he's just repeating it in a different way to show how incredible and how awesome it really is. I cried out and you answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. 
saying it twice over because it's so incredible and so unfathomable that Jonah, this disgraced prophet, would be in this harsh situation and be able to cry out from God from the depths of his sin and God would listen. The parallel here shows the importance of what Jonah is saying, but it also shows the beauty of what he's saying. In verse 1, when he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol there is, is the place of the dead. And so Jonah's saying, I cried out from death. I cried out from the place of the dead. I cried out from the place that people go and they don't come back. I was lost. I was hopeless. I had nothing on my own. And yet even from that deep, dark, horrible place, God heard his prayer. And we've seen that that's true. It's real. That everywhere that Jonah went was a step closer to death. We saw that as he left from the calling that God given him heading towards Tarshish, that he went down to Tarshish. And that was that euphemism for death and for dying. And so they were falling away. And everywhere he went, he was going further away from the presence of God, but also closer and closer to death, both metaphorically and literally. He was cast out into the sea, and usually that kills you. And if that doesn't, usually being eaten by a fish will finish the job. And so Jonah is at the face of death here, and yet God was still listening. The same Jonah that wouldn't pray to save the lives of sailors is now praying to God, and God is listening. And this should be an incredible encouragement to every single one of us here. Because the book of Jonah reminds us that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how often you fail, even on your worst and most unchristlike days, we have a God who hears us and who cares about us and who values what we have to say, even when we're just crying out, confessing how broken and weak we are, even in the middle of rebellion, God loves us and he listens. And so whether we're running to Tarshish or staring at the gates of Sheol, the God who spoke us into existence is there and he listens to us and he hears us. The hope of the gospel that we see in the book of Jonah is that you are, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, that as Paul says, there is no condemnation. There's no curtain that divides us from the presence of God. There is no glass ceiling. It's just the attentive presence and embrace of a compassionate God who hears us even when he shouldn't. And so if Jonah's sin wasn't so loud to drown out his prayer, then neither is yours. In the season of Lent, there's a lot of things and a lot of practices and a lot of themes that we go through. Obviously, the season of Lent is best known for fasting. It's also important that during this season we give to those who are in need and we confess. But Lent is also a season of prayer. It's also a season that reminds us that we have unbridled access to God. And so during this season of Lent, but also every season, every moment, every breath that we take, let's commit to being a people of prayer because we can on our best days and on our worst days, we can pray. When we are feeling really self-righteous and when we're wrecked with guilt, we can pray. And no matter whether we're on a road to Nineveh or at the bottom of the sea, we have a God who hears us no matter where we are because we've already learned God is there before we get there. 
that God can reach to the deepest depths, that God can stretch to the furthest reaches, and no matter where we are, he hears us, and it's a miracle. And so Jonah cried out to God, and God heard him. And then Jonah starts to reflect on his circumstances a little bit. Verse 3 through 6 says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and the weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In legal terms, an act of God is a natural disaster that's outside of human control, such as an earthquake or a tsunami, for which no persons can be held responsible. So if something bad happens to your stuff, but it was caused by an earthquake or a tornado, then your insurance company can't hold anybody liable, so they call it an act of God. We can't figure out any person to blame for it, so it must have been God. From a philosophical standpoint, there's an idea of the God of the gaps. And so the, the older that we grow as people and the more that we learn, we can start to identify all kinds of stuff. And so we have science and we have medicine to be able to understand why sicknesses happen and how healing can happen. We can see things take place. We can put our hands and do some work and we can identify all the stuff that people do. But then when something seems miraculous, then we say, oh, well, that must have been God. And so we like to break our world down into those two categories. There's the stuff that is natural, there's stuff that people do, and then there's the supernatural stuff that God does. And we often believe that the only places that God works are in the things that we can't do or in the things that we can't explain. But the book of Jonah starts to strip that mentality away. The book of Jonah takes away the line between the natural and the supernatural, and it pulls back the curtain behind the things that we would assign as normal, ordinary things and shows us how God works in the midst of all that. In verse 3, Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, maybe Jonah didn't read the story right. Maybe Jonah didn't really understand what was going on because we can look back at the story and we can say, well, listen, there was a storm and the sailors threw you overboard. And we know that storms are normal, natural part of a sailor's life. And we have testimony that it was these guys that threw you overboard. So Jonah, you must be mistaken. Why are you talking about God doing all of these things? But Jonah understood something on a little bit of a deeper level. Because Jonah knew all the facts. Jonah had a basic understanding of why storms came about and that storms were a natural part of the world. Jonah was there when a bunch of dudes grabbed him and threw him over the boat. And so he wasn't mistaken about what took place. But he understood the source behind everything that was happening. He looked at his circumstance and he says, God, it was, it was you that cast me into the deep. These are your waves and your billows that were passing over me. You're the reason why I'm here. And what we find in the book of Jonah is that God was sovereignly at work, that God was in control of everything around Jonah, from Jonah's circumstances to all of the natural things that were taking place. And he was using all of that stuff to discipline Jonah and to set him back on a course, even if that meant for Jonah taking him to death's door. 
Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure that we, we draw a line here in our minds. Because this doesn't mean that any time you experience hardships or that any time you experience difficulties or that any time that life gets a little overwhelming, that you must be in the midst of some kind of sin and that God must be disciplining you. Because that can be a thing that we do, that when life starts getting hard, we go to God and we say, what have I done? What is it that you're, you're disciplining me for, punishing me for? Why is this happening to me? But we have to remember somebody like Job. And Job even had that moment where he came to God and he said, if you just tell me what sin I've done, then I'll fix it and we can move on from this. Because Jonah was experiencing his life falling down around him, but Jonah was the most righteous guy around. Jonah loved God in a deeper, more passionate, or excuse me, Job loved God in a more deeper and passionate way than anybody else around him. And yet he still experienced those hardships. Think about somebody like Paul. Paul had everything he ever wanted until he became a follower of Christ. And Paul's suffering wasn't because of his sin. Paul suffered because of his righteousness. Because he would go from town to town preaching the gospel, and they would throw him in in jail, and they would persecute him, and eventually he died for it. And so sometimes we suffer for righteousness' sake. Sometimes we're going to suffer because the, the world oppresses us when we do what, worship, what glorifies and honors and worships God. Sometimes we're going to suffer because that's just the way that life is, because we live in a broken world that's waiting for Christ to make all things right and all things new. But sometimes we do find ourselves in a place where God needs to get our attention. And the story of Jonah shows us the depth that God will go to to bring his children home. In verse 4 through 6, Jonah paints an incredibly desperate picture. As he says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again to your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and the weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit. This is a horrifying thing that Job is describing. Drowning sounds very scary. And this wasn't just metaphorical for Jonah. He was literally in the water. And he had sunk to that place, to that depth, where you don't know which side is up and which side is down. That there was no hope for Jonah to be able to escape this. And again, using that death language, he says that I was at the place where the bars closed over me. The gates of Sheol, the gates of death had closed on top of me. And there was no coming back. And I was desperate. And I was never going to escape this. But he says in verse 4, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Even in Jonah's most desperate situation, he understood the grace and the mercy of God. As he was in this this hell of his own creation, as he was on the doorsteps of death because of what he had done, he was still able to say, and yet I'm again going to look at your holy temple, basically saying, I'm going to see you again. I'm going to be where you want me to be again. And as Jonah says those words, it's kind of twofold. On one side, it's a recommitment. At this point, I think Jonah's ready to go back to Nineveh. And as we're going to see in chapter 3, he does. Because when this happens, you go to Nineveh. But he says to God, "I, I will see you again. I'll look on your holy temple again. I'm ready to go where you want me to go. But even more than a statement of recommitment, this is a statement of faith. Where Jonah is confessing his faith in the hope and the trust that he has in God. And he realizes the mercy of God and the fact that God had a plan and a design for him. And that God was going to see it to fruition. 
And so even though everything was falling apart, Jonah said, you know what? I'm going to see you again. I'm going to again look on your holy temple. But God had to bring Jonah to this point to get his attention. He had to bring him to the lowest depth possible to have him to look up. You see, now for Jonah, there's nowhere to look but up. There's no ships to run to. There's no city to find refuge in. All he has is God. And now all of a sudden, for maybe the first time in his life, Jonah realizes that God is all he needs. Jonah was self-sufficient until he wasn't. Until he was forced to realize that every step he took was another movement in the rhythm of God's grace. And no matter where he ran or no matter how far he fell, his good and his gracious God was there working and loving and restoring. And this is an incredible picture of God as a good father. You see, parents, we're supposed to discipline our children Not out of anger, not out of vengeance, not out of revenge, but out of love. We discipline children so that they learn. We discipline children so that they grow, so that they make the right decisions, so they don't fall into the wrong decisions. When a parent disciplines a child, it should be an act of love, and it can be an act of love. And what we see is God is disciplining Jonah, making his course straight, bringing him back to the place that he should be. We see that it's an act of divine love because God wanted better for Jonah than Jonah wanted for himself. Because remember, in Israel, Jonah had it pretty good. Israel was financially stable. They were making progress with their military and with their borders and their boundaries. And Jonah was the prophet that heralded all that. He was the prosperity prophet that was able to look at Israel and say, God is going to bless us even though we're not doing what we're supposed to do. God is going to take care of us. And all of that stuff came true. And so Jonah had a pretty good thing going. People like prosperity prophets. It's good when people say good things are going to happen to you. We enjoy that. And so Jonah had the life that he probably thought he wanted. And when God called him to Nineveh, all Jonah could see was that God was taking all of that away. Because Jonah was going to go to Nineveh and he was going to preach this message about their sin. And people don't like that quite as much. People don't like prophets coming into their city saying, hey, God's going to destroy you. And so Jonah had a pretty good idea that when he went to Nineveh, all of the comforts and the luxury that he had been afforded, all of the the prosperity and the popularity that he had, all of that was going to be taken away. And because that's where Jonah's hope probably rested, It seemed like a much better idea to run. But what we find is that sometimes God removes something that we think is good for something that he knows is better, whether we believe him or not. For Jonah, it took having his life all but taken away to see that. It took God taking him to the deepest, darkest depth that he could find himself to understand that he needed change. And the reality is for a lot of us, that's, that's sometimes what it takes. That's true for a lot of us. And we can probably, if we were to talk about this, several of us would probably have moments where we felt like, yeah, it might not have been literally in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea, but I've been there. 
God has had to take me there because of my rebellion and because of my sin, because I wasn't looking to him like I should. I wasn't in the place that I should be. And so God had to take me there and then build me back up and show me that the things that I held on to really weren't that big of a deal. And in those times, we have to learn to be thankful for the times of discipline. And that's a really hard thing to do. As much flack as we can give Jonah, and more is coming, because he, this is not some sort of great life change for Jonah. It's one moment of Jonah seemingly having the right mentality before he gets right back to being a jerk. And so over the next few weeks, when we look at chapter 3 and chapter 4, Jonah's right back into being the same rebellious jerk that we came to despise in chapter 1. And so this wasn't a big change for Jonah, but it is this, this window of, of something really incredible and important. It teaches us to have that same kind of mentality. Because when God does bring us to the depths, and just so you know, you're usually going to be pretty familiar with what is discipline and what is not. God doesn't surprise us with something. We think, well, what's, what's wrong? What's my sin? Jonah understood. Jonah knew. And when God is putting us through a time of discipline, we're going to know what the problem is. We're going to know what's going on. We're going to be very aware of the sin that's caused us to get there. But when we go through those times of discipline, it can be really easy to shake our fists at God. It can be really easy to have times of just wanting to pity ourselves and want everybody to have sympathy on us. But our proper posture in the middle of discipline should be thanksgiving. Because it's a reminder that God loves us and God cares for us. Now, I remember being a kid, and I don't remember ever being, and Dad, maybe you can tell me if this is the case. I don't remember ever getting in trouble and my response being, thank you, Father. Thank you, Mother. I appreciate this discipline, and I receive it, (laughs) and I take it into my life. And so far, you know, we have one that can talk now, and the other one doesn't quite talk yet, but she makes her presence known. Neither of them have ever, have we ever said no to them? And either of our children said, thank you, Mother. Thank you, Father. I didn't want to eat that button anyway, and thank you for saving my life. That's not how it's worked so far. And so our natural response when God disciplines us is very rarely to to hit our knees and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing here. But it should be. Because whether we believe it or not, God loves us more than we love us. God loves me more than I love me. And God wants what is really best for me, not what I think is best. When we see the, the proclamation in the New Testament that Christ came so that we can have life and have it abundantly, a lot of times we think that that means that God's just going to give us whatever we want, but God actually gives us what we actually should need. And he starts to reveal to us who we really are and what we should really desire and to shape us and conform us into his image and to put us where we're supposed to be and give us the things that we find are actually good for us and actually meaning for us. And sometimes that means taking away some of the stuff that distracts us from it and it's difficult and it's painful but it's good and so we need to learn to trust God enough to be thankful in the times of discipline (coughs) learning to trust the God who spoke the universe into motion who calms and raises the storms without breaking a sweat who loves his children enough to go any measure to give them the life that he designed for us to live But there's also an easier way to go through this. Because sometimes we can learn to trust God on the front side of this. 
See, Jonah learned to trust God in the middle of his discipline, in the middle of his harsh circumstances. It would have been a much better story had Jonah learned to trust God in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. If God would have come to Jonah and said, hey, get up and go to Nineveh, and Jonah would have thought, that sounds terrible, and I don't want to do that, but I trust you. And to be able to walk in the steps that God had planned out for him, it would have been a much better process for Jonah, even though on paper it didn't look that way. And so we can learn to be the kind of people who have that kind of trust in God, the kind of trust that we saw earlier with Abraham and with Jesus, that when God called Abraham to get up and go, even though he didn't know where he was going, Abraham said, you know what? If God knows where I'm going, I don't need to know where I'm going. And he got up and walked. When the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, that's not a place where you would want to find yourself. And yet Jesus knew, if this is where I need to go as part of my ministry journey, then I'm going to go into the wilderness, and I'm going to fast, and I don't need bread, and I don't need water, but I'm going to go out and to trust in the Holy Spirit of God. And so he walks out into the wilderness and goes where God calls him to go. And those are not examples for us just to look at. We know that Jesus came to not only offer us salvation for our sins, but he came to show us what it looks like to be people who live life the way that it was designed to be lived. And so we can follow the example of Jesus. We don't just fall back on the, well, of course he did it. Jesus is God. We know that Jesus had the same, when he was on earth, had the same human limitations and weaknesses and frailties and fears that we have. And so he set all that up. He did all of this. He walked through all of those steps so that we can learn how to live as people who love God. And so that same kind of determination, the same thing that allowed Paul to go from city to city, knowing that he could be persecuted, knowing that he could be arrested, knowing that he could even be killed, and yet he trusted God so much that he was willing to go anywhere God sent. And we can be those people too. It just means that we have to learn and understand who God really is. We have to spend time in Scripture. We have to spend time looking at the book of Jonah and realizing that we have a God who listens to us and a God who loves us more than we love ourselves and a God who has a big plan that stretches not just the course of our lives, but all of our lives put together. That God has a big story that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation, and we all get to be a part of that, and we can trust that God and understand that God, that we need to pray to that God, that we need to be around people, that we need to be in church so that we are supported and loved and encouraged and reminded of who God is so that as we know God more, as we love God more, we can trust God more. Because the more we get to know him, the more we find that he is trustworthy, that he is steadfast, that he never ends and never changes. We sang that not too long ago, right? Just to I don't know how long I've been preaching. We'll call it like 20 minutes ago. So we just round down. We sang those words that, that, God, you remain the same. Even in my suffering, even in my good times, even in the times when I don't see you there, God remains the same and he's worthy of our trust and he's worthy of our affection. And so Jonah's a cautionary tale. But even when we look a lot like Jonah, his story is a reminder of God's love for us, even in the midst of our darkest times. And so how can you offer a prayer of thanksgiving even on the worst day of your life? For Jonah, it was the reminder that his God was a God who listened, even when he shouldn't. That his God loved him so much that he would throw him into Sheol, that he would throw him into death to bring him back into grace. And for Jonah, that was enough to be thankful. 
It was enough to be reminded, like in verse 6, when he said that even when the bars closed on me forever, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So we have a God who listens when he shouldn't. We have a God who hears the cries of his children so we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we can draw near to God with confidence and know that not only does God speak to us, but God hears us when we speak. That we have a God who loves us as a good father, who will discipline us when it's necessary, who will give us grace when we need it, who covers us in mercy when we feel weak and fragile, and who has a plan and a design and a purpose for our lives that is greater and more beautiful than anything we could sketch out on our own. And so that should change our perspective of who God is. It should change how we approach God, not timidly, not out of fear, not even out of doubt that God might not hear us, but out of boldness and confidence, knowing that when we come to the foot of God in prayer and in worship, that God hears us and that God speaks to us and that God is with us. And as we do that, we should ask that God would daily continue to help us to trust him more so that we don't have to learn like Jonah learned but that we can be people like Abraham who when God calls us even to a circumstance that's unfamiliar or strange or even causes us fear, that we would be willing to stand up and much like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I don't understand all the details. It doesn't seem like this is part of my plan or my design, but God, you know better than I do. So here I am, send me. I'm ready to go to Nineveh and never again look back to Tarshish. Next week, we're going to finish chapter 2, and we're going to see a beautiful picture of salvation and hope and trust in God. But for this week, let's rest in the God who listens and be people of prayer who passionately pursue God and trust Him to go wherever He calls us to go. Let's pray.